Oh, happy day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm talking about whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, happy day. Shit. He has range. Not sure why he's singing it, but god damn it, I respect it. Pretty sure he doesn't know any other lyrics, but son of a bitch, he can hit those notes. That's in his register. Oh, happy day when Jesus walked, washed. I'm looking it up. Oh, happy day. Song by Edwin Hawkins Singers. Oh, happy day when Jesus washed. Oh, when he washed, when Jesus washed. He washed away my sins. Okay, I get it now. I was like, washed? What do you mean, washed? I guess I never knew that song beyond the sister act scene when Whoopi Goldberg goes up to that kid and she's like, give me some more. And he's like, oh, happy day. And she's like, give me some more. And he's like, oh, happy day. And she's like, motherfucker, give me some more. And he's like, oh, happy day. Just like I'm giving it to you right now. Oh, happy day. Hope you're having a happy day. You know that moment, we've all had this moment at least once, maybe twice, perhaps a hundred times in the last year. You know that moment when you see someone without a mask for the first time? You've gotten used to seeing them only in a mask. We've met a lot of people in masks and our brains create the rest. That's what happens. That's just science. Our brains paint a picture of, hmm, what does their nose look like? What do their lips look like? What does their chin look like? What does their jaw look like? And then occasionally we see the real thing. The mask comes off. You might see them just in the distance and you're like, damn, my brain did not create the correct face that you actually have. Have you had that moment? It's very weird, isn't it? We've just gotten used to seeing so many people in society without the nose, the mouth, the chin, the jaw. So the eyes have to be expressive. I've been teaching this whole school year with some serious eyes. If you're kidding, Mr. Rosenberg, you got to give them kidding eyes. And if you're being serious, if you're disciplining those kids, you got to give them serious eyes. I actually asked them after about a month into the school year, who thinks I have a beard? Raise your hand. Half the kids did not raise their hands. But the half that did, oh yeah, when I revealed it, I gave them a little sneak peek. All right, here's what your teacher really looks like. I gave him a little second. Some of them were stunned. And I was like, what? And some of the students said, we did not think you looked like that. Full month of not knowing what your teacher really looked like. That's weird. And I don't really know what they look like. I have about 150 kids this year. I don't know what they really look like. I was walking in my car the other day. I heard a teen say, all right, Mr. Rosenberg, see you later. And I looked at that kid. I go, I have no clue who you are. Like, you could be in my second period class. You could be a kid I had last year. I just have no clue. I'm walking through a sea of familiar strangers. You look kind of familiar. You look kind of familiar. But sometimes they take off that mask and you just go, Damn! I mean, damn! I don't know why the reaction is that intense. I don't even have any logical reason. 
You would just have to go back to the lyrics. My mind's playing tricks on me. My mind's playing tricks on me. Who's the biggest badass you've ever seen in a movie? Biggest badass. Watching Sylvester Stallone as Rambo. You watching Chuck Norris kicking someone's ass all over the dojo. Biggest badass. Who is it, Bruce Lee? Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is the biggest bad ace? Is it Arnold? Is it Arnold Schwarzenegger? It's fantastic. Arnold. Ah, it's fantastic. I remember the Chargers-Texans game during the October fires. The governor was there to make us feel better. They were still playing a football game in San Diego. It was a little smoky. And he said, let's go Chargers. Let's go Chargers. It's fantastic. Tackle football. Is it Arnold? The answer is actually none of them. None of those fools. Biggest badass in movie history? <laughs> I don't know why I just had to give you that build-up kind of laugh. Biggest badass in movie history? <laughs> it's none other than Bob Odenkirk. Who? Yeah, Bob Odenkirk. He was a writer for Saturday Night Live back in the late 80s, early 90s, when the show was really good. And now the show is really bad, but I never miss it. Bob Odenkirk wrote the skit. Matt Foley, motivational speaker. So you know the guy could write. You know he's funny. And I've never seen Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, but he's pretty well known in those shows because I know those are very famous shows. But as my wife and I were scrolling and scrolling, looking for a movie, looking for a show, and sometimes I text friends, what are you watching? And they tell me, and I go, that sounds terrible. So I guess I really have to tap into what I want. What do I want? So I was scrolling and scrolling through Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and now Apple TV and HBO and HBO and HBO and HBO says just added a movie called Nobody. And the thumbnail picture is Bob Odenkirk with a fist to his face. And I was reminded, oh yeah, I heard Bob interviewed about this movie. He was talking about a real life experience with a home invasion of how it just rattled them for years. A home invasion where nobody was hurt, but emotionally they were hurt for years. And I think he starts writing this script with a few other people about just how you should treat a home invasion. So the first 15 minutes of this movie, he looks like a wimp. He looks weak. He looks like a dad that can't defend the family. And then after the first 15 minutes, he becomes maybe the biggest badass I've ever seen in a movie. It's one of those action movies. It's an adventure movie, and I recommend it if you need something to watch. Bob Odenkirk in the movie Nobody. For the last hour and a half, it's just him dodging bullets and beating the fuck out of Russians. You like that? You like that old Cold War callback? Beating the fuck out of Russians? Because whoever wrote this movie clearly knows that American moviegoers, we still like to see a few Russians get the shit kicked out of them. Well, Bob Odenkirk does a scene on a bus where he just goes nuts. I mean, there's stabbings, there's shootings, karate chop, punches to the face. Everything lands. Every punch lands. And then he gets caught up with the Russian mob. Christopher Lloyd is in it. Jim Ignatowski from Taxi. Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future plays the elderly father in this movie. And guess what? He's a badass, too. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere. So. As badass as Bob Odenkirk is in this movie, he's not really the biggest badass. That belongs to an actor named Alexei Serebrakiev. Alexei, take two. We need much more punch, much more gun action. 
He plays the character Yulian, Yulian, who owns the disco club and he's the head of a money, money, money laundering, racketeering, criminal organization, just mob shit, Yulian. So how do they introduce Yulian? They show Yulian walk into traffic. This is how they introduce his character. He walks right into traffic. Cars swerve to get out of his way. He walks right into his nightclub. He immediately walks right up to the bar, takes a shot of vodka. Then he walks right up to a woman and sings karaoke with her. And then he walks right up to a drug dealer, gets some cocaine and takes a bump. And then he walks right into the back room and immediately drinks his vodka martini and then slams the glass and stabs someone to death with the shard in his hand, with the stem shard because that guy gave him a bad look. Once again, this happens in 20 seconds. He walks into the club through traffic, shot of vodka, sings karaoke for everyone, bump of cocaine, and then he goes and murders someone. And my wife and I are on the couch like, <gasps> buckle the fuck up. Yulian is not someone to mess with. Yulian, played by Alexei Krabekovikov, Kochorkokov, is not someone to mess with. And I know he's an actor, but it's still the type of actor where if you saw him in real life, you wouldn't say hello. That's the biggest badass Russian. But Bob Odenkirk goes toe-to-toe with this son of a bitch. And in the end, after about, oh, I don't know, 3.2 million bullets dodged, you just suspend reality for a couple of hours to watch this movie. There are so many moments where bullets should kill Bob, but they don't. And in the end, guess what? Yeah, he prevails. But it's also just worth watching for Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd! And that's it. I have no other recommendations. The book I'm reading is, eh. Most shows I've seen lately, eh. The Slam Dunk Contest, eh. And the Slam Dunk Contest used to be the greatest event of my life. And now it's just, eh. 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 It's fun to make jokes, isn't it? It's fun to make jokes. And occasionally it's fun to... Make jokes at another person's expense. This is called making fun of someone. And it used to be far more acceptable. And nowadays, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We're advancing. So it's okay. What I'm about to say is okay. But there's just far less people to make fun of. Because it's viewed as more hateful. Now, a roast is supposed to be fun, right? But most of the time you watch a roast and people are reacting like this. Oh, Oh, roasts used to be charming. Don Rickles, the Dean Martin roasts, and even the Comedy Central roasts. Some of them are pretty good, but I think we're even getting past that where there's less groups that we're allowed to make fun of. But when I was growing up, it seemed like you made fun of all of them. And it almost conditioned me to enjoy it a little bit. I'm talking about being on the receiving end. Even at my own bachelor party, I was like, hey, everyone roast me. I want it to sting. There's something fun about being made fun of when it's all in fun. I think it could actually create a tight-knit friendship. When you're close enough with someone where they could bust your balls, they could bust your balls into jelly. Your balls get busted so hard, you're like, oh, 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 hey, I probably have an issue down there now. You've been busting my balls for so long. But I heard Pete Holmes, Pete Holmes, my guru, talking about being uncomfortable making fun of the homeless or drug addicts or alcoholics. And he's like, God, when I was growing up, 
you just could make fun of a bum, but not anymore because you've got to be aware, okay, they're dealing with some mental health issues or the town drunk. Most towns do have a few drunks, right? Think about your town growing up. You know that town drunk? Now you view it as a disease and you go, oh, poor guy. What have they dealt with? You don't just poke fun at the town drunk anymore. There's more compassion or there's more awareness of what people might be going through. Fat people? You don't make fun of fat people anymore. You got to blame America's nutrition. Or talk about their thyroid or metabolism. Have a deeper understanding about why they are fat. Or understand what big boned means. (laughs) Sorry to laugh, but you know, some fat people used to just say I'm big boned. And it would just silence the conversation. Oh, they're big boned. Okay, I guess we don't make jokes. You don't make jokes. But I had a group of friends that loved your mama jokes. And that's making fun of moms for being stupid, for being fat, for being old, for being poor. We didn't even know what we were saying. There were those books, Truly Tasteless Jokes. If you've never heard of this series, Google it. Truly Tasteless Jokes. These were awful jokes. But we liked the books. I didn't feel like they were conditioning me to hate certain groups. I was just like, hey, that's a well-crafted joke. But even those jokes, we don't make those jokes as much anymore. You can't make fun of many groups. And I'm not saying this like it's a bad thing. I'm just observing it. I'm observing our society progress and evolve. And it's interesting because it will eliminate some humor. Like what can you still laugh at? What can you still laugh at? Farters, yes, people who fart publicly. But no, if they didn't mean to fart, you can't really make fun of that person. If they didn't mean to fart and they let one go and they let one slip, and everyone around starts laughing, that's bullying, I think. You can't make fun of farters even. Oh my God, my world is changing. And I need to evolve. Yeah, if you saw a drunk person just acting a fool, would your mind immediately go, oh, they're dealing with something that made them that way. Or they have a disease that made them that way. I mean, we all have to evolve if we're not going to be able to make fun of certain groups. Then we all have to gain a little wisdom of why you can't just tell someone, Hey, we don't say that word anymore. Like I still hear the word and I'm not even going to say it, but I still hear the word R E T A R D. Cause I work at a high school and I tell the kids, we don't say that word. You don't say that word anymore. And it's an educational experience. But when I was their age, Oh my God, you would hear the word often. And there was not a teacher to go. We don't say that word. So special needs children, of course you don't make fun of them anymore. And it's nice to be on a campus like that. Maybe I'm in this liberal bubble. This little sliver of planet Earth called Marin or California or however we're viewed by people that hate us on the other side of it. But yeah, less and less and less groups that you would just willingly make fun of. And it does create a higher degree of sensitivity and being politically correct but it also caused me to want to go back to some of those yo mama jokes and think about what were we saying to each other? I'm not going to call it yo mama though. I'm going to call them your mother jokes. Okay. Cause I'm an older guy now. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not going to say yo mama, yo mama's so fat. I'm going to say your mother. And this is called Googling on the podcast. I'm just going to Google your mother jokes and I'm going to read some. Okay. And I, want to know if they make you uncomfortable. Let's see here. Your mother is so fat when she goes camping, the bears hide their food. 
Um, your mother is so fat if she buys a fur coat, the whole species will become extinct. Wow, that is fat. Uh, your mother is so fat she stepped on a scale and it said to be continued. That is mean. They should have just given her her weight. This is called bestlifeonline.com. Hope this is okay, folks. And how old were we? We were fifth graders. I remember my friend Alan bought a book called Snaps. And we were just memorizing so many Umama jokes. Your mama, nope. Your mother is so fat, her blood type is gravy. <laughs> it's not nice. Your mother is so fat, she can't even jump to a conclusion. That is certainly overweight. And now stupid. Your mother is so stupid. She put lipstick on her forehead to make up her mind. That's clever. Your mother is so stupid. She thought a quarterback was a refund. Not funny. Your mother is so stupid. When I told her she lost her mind, she went looking for it. Mm, not funny. And your mother is so stupid. She put airbags on her computer in case it crashed. Uh, I don't know. Fifth grade me might have liked some of these. Oh, now ugly. Yeah, you can't make fun of ugly. Can we? Can we make fun of ugly people? No, no. I mean, maybe, but no, right? Your mother is so ugly, she threw a boomerang and it refused to come back. Wow, that is ugly. Um, your mother is so old, her social... Se <laughs> your mother is so old, her social security number is one. Wait, come on, pop-up. Stop. Don't interrupt. I'm doing something very serious. Oh, your mother's teeth are so yellow when she smiles, traffic slows down. I've heard that one. Your mother's armpits are so hairy, it looks like she has buckwheat in a headlock. And your mother is so ugly, when she was little, she had to trick or treat by phone. <laughs> your, these are terrible, what am I doing? But I'm just showing you, we can't do these anymore. Your mother is so ugly, her birth certificate is an apology letter. <gasps> that is so rude. Oh boy. Your mother is so poor, she can't even afford to pay attention. Your mother is so fat, her belt size is the equator. Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, no, it's not. Not in 2022. But me and Alan and Rick and Matt and Micah in fifth grade. Some your mama jokes. It's funny. Your mother. No, not your mama. Your mother. Your mother. Is so short. She went to see Santa and he told her to get back to work. <gasps> Short jokes, poor jokes, ugly jokes, fat jokes. You can't tell these. I don't think anyone took them seriously, though. Even white men can't jump. All those mama jokes. It's a great scene. But there's like an agreed upon dynamic when it comes to mama jokes that you don't get offended. Now I want to Google more. Now I want to Google more. Grow up, Josh. It's a solid question. Who can you still make fun of? Well, you can make fun of your own family members, right? We all make fun of our moms and we all make fun of our weird neighbors, right? No? Well, if it's based in hate, then the answer is no, you can't do it. But if it's based in humor, that's a tough question. Is it still okay? If it's based in humor and you know it might get a laugh, is it okay? Huh. A conundrum. 
You can make fun of the KKK still. Definitely, you can make fun of the KKK. Like Dave Attell's bit. I get it. They hate Jews. They hate blacks. I get it. But why so many meetings? How many things are actually changing that they have to meet about? Speaking of the KKK, there was an ugly story today in the paper where there's groups, hate groups, that are putting flyers on random homes about how the Jews created the COVID-19 pandemic. That's kind of weird. I mean, it's awful. It's terrible. It actually enrages me. But of all things to get upset with Jews about, that we started the pandemic, I don't think we have magical powers like that. And when they drop off these flyers, these pieces of shit, these morons who drop off anti-Semitic flyers all around the Bay Area, I read in Palo Alto, Berkeley, Marin County, are they thinking that someone's picking up this flyer and going, huh, it turns out it was the Jews that created COVID. There's not really a group of readily influenced people that are going to buy a bunch of this shit. All this anti-Semitism, all this racism, usually that's taught when people are young. Usually, not always. But if I open my front door and there's a flyer and it just tells me a certain race started COVID, pick any race. They started COVID. That flyer goes in the garbage. It's a waste of paper. This is an environmental issue. Let's stop wasting paper. You racists. Oh, God. As I told my wife, I'm not a violent person, but to just punch one of these anti-Semites in the face as hard as I can and break every bone in their face and skull, just one. It won't solve a problem. I'll go to jail for it. And I know I preface that with I'm not a violent person. You're like, yeah, you might want to rethink that. But seriously, if an anti-Semitic person just comes up my driveway and they have a flyer about how the Jews started COVID-19 and I catch him, I go, oh, wait, one moment. Um, hold on. Before you get back into your car and continue canvassing our neighborhood with that hate. Um, boom. Bob Odenkirk, the situation. Holy shit. And then I get sued and then it gets ugly, but. Is it worth it in that one moment? Hmm. I asked my wife that same question. She goes, eh, I'd probably cheer you on. Another righteous gemstones moment. But when baby Billy came back to see his son that he abandoned, played by Macaulay Culkin, and he's like, what can I do? And the kid's like, nothing. You already damaged everything. I'm not going to have you back in my life. You deserted me. And you think the scene is over and then Macaulay Culkin just says, wait, can I punch you right in the face? And at first I was like, huh, okay. Like not much comedy in this scene, but then I understood the depth of it. This fantasy that we all have sometimes, think about that one person you want to punch in the face so badly. The writers of Righteous Gemstones, they gave Macaulay that one punch to his dad that abandoned him. And in a weird way, it felt good for Macaulay. Felt good for the viewer. Felt good for the dad who got punched. Because at least he gave his son a moment. A moment of comeuppance. And I must ask, what the hell am I talking about? Speaking of teaching hate, though, there was a teacher at Cubberly High School in 1967 named Ron Jones. This is a true story. Cubberly High School doesn't exist anymore, so I know it sounds like a fake story. But Cubberly High School in Palo Alto used to exist and they had a history teacher who was teaching the holocaust teaching about the rise of the nazis and he decided to do a simulation 
and it got totally out of hand. Have you heard about this? It couldn't happen today. But he's just doing a Nazism, fascism simulation, and he thought it would be like one hour. And a lot of history teachers do simulations. Try to make you feel what it was like. When deep down, of course, we can't make students feel anything from the past. I mean, it'd be great if they're empathetic, but really, like when I was in sixth grade and we were learning about the California gold rush and then they gave us silver pans and all the parents put fake gold in the creek and that's a simulation. It's just fun. It's just fun. But we weren't like, wow, I was really able to put myself in their shoes. So his simulation was just order and discipline. He was a first year teacher. He just graduated Stanford, got his teaching degree, first year teacher, and he now is teaching them some mantras, power and discipline, power and numbers. He's doing like the Hitler character and he has a symbol, like a salute. It's a wave. He says, our group is now called the wave. Sit up straight. Come into this classroom in a single file line. And he starts having them act like organized Nazis. And then at the end of it, he just said, okay, bye. But the next day, the kids kept doing it. The kids kept doing the salute and they liked the mantras and they liked the order. They liked the discipline. And all of a sudden, word spreads around campus that there's a new group. And it was totally out of hand. He was accidentally indoctrinating them. It's a totally true story. The guy after this year was not tenured. He was not reelected, basically fired, never taught again. He's still alive and he regrets it. But he had a captive audience and he lied to them because on day two of the simulation where he kept it going, he's like, hey, if they like it, then great. We'll set up an exclusive group called the wave, the third wave, like the third Reich. And we'll just tell them that there's a representative from D.C. There's a national youth movement. And this is the time of the Vietnam War. So a lot of kids are outspoken for the first time, maybe for the first time in American history. A lot of younger people are really in tune with the government or questioning the government to a degree where they want to see revolution. And now the world history teacher at Coverly High is telling them, we have a revolution coming and it's our group and the representative is coming on Friday and he's here to guide us. And you're either a part of this group and you're a part of the revolution, this exclusive group that has a salute and we have a mantra and we wear an armband and we don't let any outsiders in. We just try to get the outsiders to be a part of our group. And there was bullying going on. There were fights on campus. There were other high schools like Gunn High School and Palo Alto High School that heard about it and they wanted to be a part of it and they came to the campus of Coverly. So it got totally out of hand and it's just one week and at the end of the week, there was no representative coming from D.C., but he puts them all in the gym, this entirely indoctrinated group of teenagers, and instead of a representative coming from D.C., he just starts showing a Hitler rally. Two black and white TVs with swastika flags, Hitler screaming, and all the doors of the gym are closed. And according to a lot of these kids who are now adults, they're like, I was freaked out. I was panicked. I was like, what is going on? Did we all just really become Nazis unknowingly? And not so much anti-Semitic Nazis, but just the idea of groupthink and we want to be on the winning team and we want to have strength. And we can easily be taught to hate others that aren't a part of our group. Can you think of a more successful simulation? Even though the teacher regrets it, those kids have never forgotten it. That's part of teaching. You got to wonder, what are they going to remember from this experience? Most of my students, if I saw them in the streets in 30 years and I say, hey, what do you remember about my class? Maybe they remember my personality a little bit, but are they going to be able to say, well, the three branches of government came from the Romans. Well, the rise of Stalin, well, the Cold War ended. No, I mean, you never know what's going to resonate.
But all these kids remember the third wave and Ron Jones at Cubberly High. And I think less teachers are taking chances because, yes, it's a more politically correct world. Case in point at Miller Creek Middle, Miller Creek Middle, my old history teacher, Ted Brees, he used to do a simulation where all the kids would pretend they were on the bottom of a slave ship, the Middle Passage, and he was the slave taskmaster. And he had a whip. He had high black boots. He would turn the heat up in the room and turn the lights off. And he would whip us. I remember with those big black boots stepping on people's fingers. He was trying to simulate just how brutal those conditions were for the slaves that were brought over from Africa unwillingly. And I remember this thinking, all right, today's the day I'll remember. And if anyone's listening, uh, learn to speak. And if anyone is listening to this podcast, and they had a teacher do a simulation like that, or maybe you did have Mr. Brees, you never forgot it. So you got to wonder, was that too far? Because parents wouldn't let that shit fly now. Parents would not be cool with that. But it is memorable. And it does cause some historical events and some social issues to deeply resonate with little kids who are usually distracted with their bustling hormones or nowadays their iPhones. So at least it's a discussion. The one thing you don't want as a teacher is a mob of parents getting upset with one of your lesson plans because it got so out of hand that you ended up brainwashing their children. Then you get sued. Then you never teach again. Then you're like Yulian coming into your own nightclub, taking a shot of vodka and murdering someone in the first 10 seconds of your entrance. That was too intense. All right, the movie Nobody, have you seen it? It's a little much, okay? It's a little much. And I guess that's how you watch action movies. You just go, that's a little much. Oh, that was a little much. And then you look at whoever you're watching the movie with and you go, how did those bullets not get them? Every car scene that is being shot at, the car never just stops. Wouldn't the driver just take a bullet and the car stops or the tires get blown out? Every car scene with the shootout continues. The cars just keep driving and the driver, what's going on? The Woody Allen aspect, the cars just keep driving. How could that be? No, but really, there's a lot of bullets that miss in movies. And that'll be the most obvious thing you hear, maybe in your entire life. What else was I going to talk about? I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, let me end it like this. So I asked my students who thinks they would have gotten indoctrinated and brainwashed by a world history teacher doing a Nazism simulation like Ron Jones at Cumberly High School in 1967. And most of the kids raise their hand and they go, yeah, I could have. But nowadays they would just Google it and go, no, there's not. There's no third wave. There's no organization. Now 60% of the room will be distracted. And you can't really fool them. But those kids were fooled. There was no subgroup to connect with in the cyber world. Who did you know? The people at your school. Who are your friends? The people in your neighborhood. Nowadays, everybody can connect online. But back then, if you were told something's happening right on this campus, you want to be a part of it, it's cool. There was peer pressure. There was bullying. All the same exact topics we have today, but just in a much more antiquated, untalked about version back then. Even when I was in school, there was not an emphasis on bullying. I mean, it existed, but it wasn't like we have bully awareness week. Nowadays, not only do we not make jokes about so many groups of people and your mama jokes or your mother jokes are forbidden. They're outlawed. Her social security number was one. That is old. But no bullying is a major focus of schools. And that's a really good thing. Now, as a parent of two, holy shit, how heartbreaking would that be if your kid came home? 
describing a bullying. I could barely handle when my kid was like two and got bit. Like, you got bit today? It's just animal shit. You've had that happen, right? Or your kid gets bit. Preschool bites? Shit. And if your kid's the biter, oh boy, that's when you got to start crate training your own child. Put a muzzle on them. I mean, they still have to go to preschool, but yeah, we bought a new muzzle today at Kohl's. And she won't be biting anymore. Do a psychological study on that. Do the biters become the bullies? That'll be the name of my book. Do the biters become the bullies? By Josh Rosenberg. A guide to crate training your kids. Not bad. Not bad. There's so many books. (laughs) This could be a dumb rant, but we were at Barnes & Noble the other day. I was way too overwhelmed. I couldn't just pick one, so I left without a book. It's a good thing. A lot of contributions to the literary world, but it's just too much. I get overwhelmed with too much good stuff. I do. That's why the idea of attending a party with 20 people that I love, oh my God, my heart would jump out of my fucking chest, pal. Scrolling through Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, isn't it too much? Don't you just put the remote down and turn off the TV and go, all right, maybe I just need to breathe for a minute. It's just too much. How many people can recommend that documentary? Have you seen Squid Game? Have you seen Tiger King? Have you seen Euphoria? And if your reaction is, no, I haven't heard of it, they go, what the fuck? You haven't seen Squid Game? It's like that in the book world. It's like that in the show world, the TV world, all the arts. Just too much good stuff. And I guess that's a good thing because the arts are good. But holy shit, it's overwhelming. Even podcasts. That's my new favorite thing. And I know this because I had some alone time recently. And instead of putting on the TV, I put on Mark Marin interviewing Roy Woods Jr., a great comic. And I was like, yeah, it's just going to be me having a listening experience. Podcasts. Like what you're doing right now. You're listening to this shit. And then there's another podcast you can't wait to listen to. You probably have a few that you're behind on. You're like, all right, Josh, wrap this shit up. We want to get to another. So I'll wrap it up for you. That's episode 175. It's in the books. All right, good folks. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>